Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the NXT Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Hamflet from What Culture, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review NXT, but also Raw, SmackDown, AW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Hamlet, Michael Cedric, enjoying a well-earned week off this week to review NXT and a show I really enjoyed, Hamlet. Yeah, we had a, a little bit of a discussion before recording, and I think you like this more than me. However, I will say this was substantially better than last week's taped show, which is odd when you typically have taping cycles. Hmm. Um, as we talked about on the, on the previews, we've avoided spoilers wherever possible other than the stuff that came to the front immediately um so didn't necessarily have that hanging over it but just generally when shows are taped in batches they feel tired by the end like mm-hmm. the crowd obviously doesn't kind of have as much energy for the stuff the uh the wrestler like the, the product just feels as old as it actually is and i just thought it's had a little bit more about it than last week's nxt is the if we're talking in food and I can't in the way as eloquently as Michael Sidgwick, this is the pizza that can no longer be reheated to rescue mm. it. Um, it cannot be saved. Um, all of this, when it is heated up, has just been microwaved one time beyond its reasonable sell by date. <laughs> However, in spite of that, to kind of build on something we mentioned yesterday, I think they'll probably arrive at a half decent takeover card. So maybe there's some all right booking hiding in these bland episodes. Yeah, just looking across here, I think the whole show just made sense, which is an incredibly low bar. Mm. But every decision they made, whether it was results or the way things went down, I think it just, yeah, it was just made me really happy that I didn't sit there and go, why have they done that? And we'll get into that DQ in a second, because I'm going to make an argument for that, making a lot of sense as well, which is rare for a DQ in WWE. And... I just couldn't be happy with the result of that main event because it sort of answered all the issues that we had with it, with it when previewing it yesterday. But we'll get into it when we when we get there. Let's start with the beginning of the show. Uh, the show opened 
with that tag match. Hit Row versus Legado del Fantasma. Not going to talk too much about the match because, well, it ended in a DQ, so it's kind of pointless. They start with a brawl, though. Um, Hit Row are in control with someone like Top Dollar you're probably going to be. Uh, but then Escobar, Santos Escobar, of course, is outside, out, outside uh, flanking Legado del Fantasma. He causes a distraction. Low bridge by Mendoza sends uh, Shanti Adonis. Out to the floor, allows them to take control. They work over Adonis through the commercial break. Then eventually Top Dollar gets a hot tag, comes in, wrecks everyone. But in the midst of all this, as it looks like Hit Row are going to get the victory, Escobar jumps up on the ring apron and twats him with a chair. Oh no, another WWE DQ. But in the grand scheme of things, it makes sense, Michael Hamplet, because there's an attack afterwards. Agoda Del Fantasma target uh, Top Dollar, uh, take him out of the picture. Toy him into the steps after twatting him with the chair loads. Uh, batter Isaiah Swerve Scott, who's of course the, the North American champion. And uh, Escobar is being held, uh, sorry, hits Scott with a chair as he's being held there by Mendoza and Wild. And then he rips the grill out of his mouth. But finally, Top Dollar's recovered. Um, Adonis had also been taken out of all this. Uh, top, top Dollar just is fuming. B Fab gets in there. Hits Wild with a chair. Shotgun, shotgun dropkick on Escobar by Top Dollar. That leaves Mendoza, who gets taken down by Ashanti Adonis. And Scott hits his finisher on Mendoza as the heels Scarpa with Swerve's grill, I suppose. Look, this isn't about wanting to be the best tag team or ever. This was a means to an end to get Santos Escobar in a position where he could challenge Swerve for the North American Championship. And he's riled him up so much that you sense... That's the direction we're going to go next. Good stuff. Yeah, I, I'm not as high on the DQ finish, but I will say it didn't. It wasn't the sort of finish that impacted my enjoyment of the match. Like within the moment, I didn't feel particularly ripped off at what I'd seen. Um, I thought this was a really good expression of what Hit Row are, and that was particularly necessary after last week's defeat and. You know, some of the booking that I don't think has worked quite so well. They are in the process of establishing a hot act in Hit Row. And I thought this was effective at that. The match was good. Um, there was a, a yet another awesome top dollar hot tag, not mm. the first. And it was so good. They kind of replayed it twice with him making the save. They used him in that kind of impact player role twice, um, which seems to suggest they know what they've got with top dollar. Um I thought Mendoza particularly looked really good in this mm -hmm. match. That um, bottom rope line salty does is really underrated. And I think the sort of gifable content that I think people typically want to find in their pro wrestling matches these days and their hot openers, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there was a lot to like in a match that I didn't think was ruined by the finish. Um, and as you say, means to an end stuff with the big singles match. They have not, there is no juice left in the fruit of Legado del Fantasma versus Hit Row but there is in Swerve versus Escobar. This new dynamic of Swerve versus Escobar for one singles match. I think if they try and push it with a like a stable war match for TakeOver, they've gone one too far. This was enough of that, but you kind of saved the money and the meat of the, the singles contest. So, yeah, I, I kind of can give them the pass. I know where you're coming from here, and I think you can give them a pass. Because, mm, uh, you know, my immediate reaction when someone gets DQ'd is like, oh. So what was the point of the last 10 minutes, basically? But, mm. yeah, he, he uses it to get himself into a position where, you know, yes, B-Fab gets involved and, and gets involved with the chair eventually, but 
he's isolated the two people who can protect Swerve and Swerve's never going to see something like this coming. So yeah, good stuff. And I don't know, stealing his grill feels weirdly sort of appropriate for the way these two factions have been warring. Yeah, I, again, that's like very, very NXT that somebody steals something of somebody else and that becomes the like the prime reason for them to have to keep on fighting. But it's a more interesting visual than a hat, I guess. So, <laughs> you know, or, or a crown. Uh, so then we cut backstage and uh, Regal's there saying, well, Joe, you're now part of the roster, so I'm going to have to flank you with some uh, <laughs> poor bloody security who are clearly going to end one way this evening to try and keep him apart from carrying cross more on that a little bit later on, because then we got rich bloody Holland. I was going to say taking on murdering Hikamanjiro and more specifically his jacket. Yes. Jiro did get some offense in with the help of his jacket, but he gets murked here. Uh, Holland shoves him over the top rope. Batters him around ringside, throws him into the barricade, suplexes him in the ring. And then the worst thing of all, targets the jacket, Michael Hamflet, hoys it out of the ring. Giro tries to come back. Holland just immediately suplexes him. Power slam, one, two, three. Uh, and post-match, cut a promo on behalf of him uh, and warn Thatcher that Rich Bloody Holland's going to knock your bloody teeth out. Effectively. Great stuff. Super mega effective, this. Um, he made real contact with Jiro's coat, didn't he? So would you call those jacket potatoes? Um, <laughs> no, I don't want to minimise that with stupid comedy. This was really, really effective. I thought really good. Um, we have seen over the past year that um, you can't assume a good squash just because you could put a big guy monstering a little guy out there. There have been failed attempts at these there have been more successful ones than this one but there have been failed attempts as well i thought this was great rich holland um look rich holland wrestles with a certain spice that adds to his domineering size a guy that looks like him the mistake that wrestling companies have sometimes made is that you don't need to do much but he's not an omos type of giant mm. where you limit it because you have to here, he's kind of got to have a little bit something extra. Um, I don't want to like make the comparison to Lance Archer because I think that's unfair. But Archer's first squashes in AEW were super effective because they showed you this guy that didn't just have physical stature advantage over his opponents, but had some pretty nasty weapons in his arsenal as well. And I thought this was the first exploiting of those for Ridge Holland. Um, I sense there'll be more and I sense they won't. They'll make a point of not exposing his weaknesses as he continues to train there a rare case of NXT looking like it can still be a prosperous developmental because mm -hmm. it feels like Holland is only going to develop. Hopefully there isn't the pressure on him to do the stuff that's going to cause him further injury. There's a line of how far you go with a guy that size and what you get them to do, but you'd like to think they can find that second time around without hurting him. Yeah, he, uh, he's got a real presence about him. I was just double-checking there. Mm. We did we did have him in Defiant. I, I swear I remembered walking past <laughs> him backstage. I think we only had him very, very briefly as, as you know, just sort of a one-off opponent for... Yeah, there we go. Jern Simmons in Defiant, as it was then. Mm. I remember walking past him and going, bloody hell! And just like that <laughs> exemplified bit when he's put in there with someone like Ikemenjira, who 
was just a perfect opponent with the jacket stuff and all that, wasn't he? Yeah, um, Giro as well. Uh, I don't know how many people are campaigning exactly for Giro's success in NXT. Um, I have a feeling, and I feel like there's billions of examples of this in NXT's history, that Giro's not for now, but he will be for later. Mm. Try not to panic too much that he's getting absolutely flattened now. Um, because I sense that they know there's better days ahead for him and Giro. Yeah, I think you and me and quite a few other people are holding out for a Giro. So, yeah, we'll look for him in the future. <laughs> Frankie Monet, uh, she's backstage with uh, Robert Stone, Jessica Mia. She's furious, obviously, uh, off, the, off the back of the match, uh, off the back of the defeat. And uh, she said, you two are used to being losers. I don't even know what that word means. And effectively said she's going to rebrand the Robert Stone brand in her own image, which is, I mean, something or nothing. We already thought that was going to be the case. It's pointless, this one. Oh, God, don't care. Do not care. Um, don't bring into conversation the idea of losers when everybody, including you, it feels like a loser. It's the last subject matter you want to hang over the top of this promo. Like, I'm already glazing over. And then you start doing that thing where you're like, huh, these guys were nothing without me. Now they're... Slightly better than nothing. It goes back to <laughs> yesterday's talk about Triple H saying he was that damn all right or whatever it was. They're just this is a this type of scripting is a disease for wrestlers mm. trying to get over, and we need to get a lot, lot less of it. Mm. What is much preferable is grappling, which is exactly what we got next. It was Roderick Strong versus Bobby Fish, and yeah, like I said, it was just. Good old-fashioned wrestling this to put Roderick Strong over and get him in a position to challenge Kushida uh, for the Cruiserweight Championship, which Kushida accepted uh, effectively after his performance. Kushida said, yeah, you can have a shot later on. Uh, Fish did uh, come back after some good craps, uh, loads of bloody kicks, mule kicks, head kicks, roundhouse kicks, all that sort of thing. Um, but of course, Roderick Strong cuts him off with Yep, you guessed it, the backbreaker. Why wouldn't you? Because look at you, you're Roderick Strong, you're perfect. Fish comes back, uh, gets a near fall off a roundhouse kick, in fact. Goes up top, but gets distracted by the rest of Diamond Mind. Gets shoved over the ropes. Uh, Strong hits a jumping knee lift and a falling backbreaker for the victory. Good stuff, this. Mm, Sorry. Um, I feel a bit sad about this. So... The good first, the good first. Um, Roderick Strong gets a win. Diamond Mine gets a win. We'll just not ask the questions as to why it took Roddy Strong 12 minutes, why it took Tyler Russ too. Um, <laughs> and uh, Strong and Kushida at takeover is pretty cool. Like, it's okay to have high hopes for Roderick Strong and Kushida having a banger for the Cruiserweight title. It's going to be really weird when Strong wins. When Roddy Strong is carrying around a Cruiserweight title, they're going to have to work to not have him be stigmatised by that and instead mm. have him elevate that belt. You know, that's not to say Kushida hasn't done good things with it, but we have to speak the truth about where people still see that belt in the grand scheme of things. This is a, an ex-North American champion, an ex-tag team champion, and an occasional NXT title contender suddenly feeling like his real goal is to drop down. I just felt a bit sad that this is the, you know, the video package didn't help either. Mm. In Undisputed Era, they meant something to an awful lot of people. And I'm not sure this meant anything to anybody. Like, there would have been a time in the not-too-distant past 
where the fantasy booking of the eventual Undisputed Era split and the fragments of that would have been the kind of thing we could have done a long-form podcast on. It would have been, maybe we did. Like It would have been the sort of stuff where they would have arrived at takeovers with these matches, whether it be tags, whether it be singles. And I just thought this was, like the work was sound, but I don't think it ever really, not only do I not think it ever really escalated past that point of trying to steal the show, Mm. it felt like that wasn't the point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you it might be right like there, actually. It felt like this existed not to, like, take the conversation from other things on this episode. And I just, how am I? This is like Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish. These these two's relationship and their relationship with Cole and, like, O'Reilly was was the DNA of this brand for a lot of years. And I, I like, a, a lot of this felt like it didn't land in the way that on another night with a different promotion, you would have expected this to be are we going to get four and a half stars off these two in a 20 minute main event? And it was like so far removed from that, both in terms of in-ring content and emotionally. Yeah. You might be right actually, because I said the graps were good, but it felt like this was, you know, not informed by, you know, the video package. It wasn't informed by anything. It felt like they said like, well, Carl O'Reilly and and Adam Cole have got all the the undisputed era history stuff. So Mm. you two just have a wrestling match. So you know, you're not going to get a bad match out of Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish, but yeah, you 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 you're spot on there that, that it was it's, it's, almost intentional. Do you know what it reminds me of? Um, you would get NXT matches every now and then. I'm trying to think of an example. Ah, here's a one. Like Zayn and Nakamura have this like instant era-defining classic at Takeover Dallas. And let's say, like, cut to three years later, and they're having a boring six-minute match on Raw, and people do like side-by-side image of Look what the main roster's done to these guys. Like, this is NXT doing it to its own guys. <laughs> you know, like, imagine, remember the tag? I think it was, was it Strong and Fish at one point or other were a combination of Undisputed Era tag team champions, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. I don't know. Like, I just, NXT seemed to willingly reduce what this was into just something to fill the mid card out to get Strong ready for Kushida. We felt this in the build, and I think ultimately that's how it played out in the execution. Yeah, you could have easily done this with, with a bit of uh, hype around it after... Roderick Strong won the title for having like beefy yeah. challenger, yeah. but it was just a bit of fluff. The wrestling was great, obviously, but yeah, just feel like they've missed an opportunity. The more you, the more you talk about that, you spot on there, Hamlet. Um, what we didn't miss was the grizzled young veterans versus LA Knight and Kelly Grass, baby. To them. He had to wrestle in his butler outfit. <laughs> I did like the little is LA Knight hey, with all the million dollars graphics with his butler, uh, Cameron Grimes. And <laughs> uh, Knight's bossing him about, makes him start the match. Uh, but once uh, he's uh, beaten down James Drake enough, LA Knight, so I'll take it from here, let me in. He comes in uh, and then obviously gets his ass handed to him. So Grimes has to come back in, flying crossbody in a butler outfit. Wonderful vision. <laughs> um, but in the midst of all this, uh, there's a blind tag by the experienced tag team combo. This would inform the app throughout this match. Uh, that allows uh, them to, to take control. And then Grimes gets some separation, goes to his corner, and LA Knight jumps down, refuses to tag in. But instead of Grimes feeling heartbroken and betrayed, he takes his bloody gloves off and goes, right, you two of you versus me. Let's have this out. Looked great. That made a fantastic comeback. Punted James Drake 
Uh, hits uh, Zach Gibson with a running Spanish fly crossbody. Gets a near fall for that. Sets up with a cave-in. But the numbers game and the fact that these are two very experienced tag team wrestlers who deserve to be number one tag team title contenders. Yeah, they catch up to, to uh, Cameron Grimes. They hit him with the ticket to mayhem. And they pin him. And post-match, out comes Ted DBRC to put a, a comforting arm around Grimes and tell him he's got to figure a way out of this situation with L.A. Knight. What did you make of the development of all these guys' stories? I feel like I want us to flip roles here and ask you what you made of this development. I Like, just really quickly, um, I think we're probably both glad to see the Grizzled Young Vets get on the winner's side mm. of the ledger again. It was like they were due a victory to kind of... I don't know, just give them a bit of agency back, I think, in this tag division. So that was a, certainly a net positive. Um, Grimes and LA Knight aren't mates and they've done comedy skits. So fundamentally, and Knight's a heel. So, you know, like Grimes loses again and he lost to find himself in this position in the first place. And he was kind of fooled by LA Knight and Ted DiBiase once upon a time. You're the Grimes fan. Like, how does his continual losses make you feel in terms of him ultimately getting that redemption? I don't think this loss of, will have affected him one jot because I thought the the fire up and the, oh, it's two on one and not mm. just, you know, it, it's very, it, again, this is probably informed by my history of watching WWE. Normally, jump <laughs> down, what have you done? I can't believe you've turned on me. Despite the fact, like you say, they're not friends and he's just furious. And he probably watched the footage from last week and went, oh, it was you twatted me with a golf club in, in the yeah. hall, basically. <laughs> He didn't turn around and then immediately get hit with a ticket to May. And that would make him look like a bit of a pissant, if, if I'm honest. <laughs> but he goes, right, you're going to leave me? Bollocks to you then. I'm a mint wrestler. And he, he very nearly beats a t- one of the best tag teams in NXT. I thought this did everything it needed to. Like you say, GYV get another win or get a win for the first time in a while. Uh, all the other tag teams, I suppose, other than Imperium, are busy now. Hit Row and Lagarde del Fantasma are busy. You've got, you know, Putin and Oni Lorcan and that lot, and they're, they're feuding with Champer and Thatcher, and they've already had a title shot. I know GYV have, but, you know. So it's like, well, who have you got for MSK? It's Imperium. <sighs> or the rematch that we all want to see. I mean, bloody takeover in a few weeks. I don't know. I'm maybe just sort of trying to will that into an existence. But, yeah, it, I don't know where they're going with this. Like, we all know that there's going to be some sort of, you know, thing where he finally breaks free from the clutches of LA Knight and maybe gets the million dollar championship as well. Uh, I think they could, I don't know, they're probably going to do a loser leaves NXT match with, with Cole and O'Reilly. But if that wasn't the case, you could very easily do the million dollar title versus leaving NXT and people would buy it because Grimes is someone you could easily see Vince going, ha ha put him in the 24 seven championship picture because he hasn't got a bloody clue what makes talent in 2021. <laughs> so that's good. And I like the fact that Ted DiBiase isn't just money, money, ha ha you're a dickhead. Like mm. he's got this weird affinity that he's developed with him and sees that, yeah, that this isn't right. I, I I don't know. I just really thought this was a great development for everyone as part of this storyline. I'll say this. The lingering idea of Ted DiBiase kind of with the arm around the shoulder, um, the message obviously was Grimes needs to be done with this now and he needs to find a way out of the situation. I can't yet map out how they're going to get there, but I, 
if nothing else, I want to see him escape this situation. Mm. So they have they've gone from letting him win in inverted commas the the skits and win the vignettes, but now we're down to the serious business of him getting his life back. So mm. I, in in that regard, I think they've at least dangled another hook. I think I think your takeover match is not like pie in the sky booking. I think there's enough there to justify it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Then we got a uh, sort of vignette from Dakota Kai explaining her reasoning for turning on Raquel Gonzalez, informed by everything we've sort of speculated on before. The fact that, you know, she saw what Raquel Gonzalez could bring to her in terms of being a muscle and protecting her and helping her, you know, defeat Tegan Knox all that all those months and months, years uh, ago. <laughs> and uh, then the bit where she was picked by Io Shirai to, to Raquel Gonzalez over Dakota Kai to, to challenge her for the, for the title. And then the other sort of breaking point for Dakota Kai in the fact that Raquel Gonzalez wasn't focused on the tag titles anymore. She didn't care about her anymore. And she called Gonzalez selfish. It still doesn't necessarily fix the issues of Gonzalez, you know, still not being a proper baby face, but I thought, I thought Dakota Kai unexpected, unsurprisingly, sorry, absolutely nailed this. Yeah. Thought this was better than the turn. Um, it didn't hurt ultimately for them to lay out every beat of the story thread like to uh just sort of make clear hmm. the, the clues that we've been you know there to pick up on the last kind of couple of years. I quite like the um 
I like the idea that Dakota Kai feels aggrieved that she that all of this was a, ultimately a plan for her to become NXT champion, and now all of a sudden it's backfired, it's landed in Raquel Gonzalez's lap when Kai had title shots and lost them. I think that's good, warped heel psychology and mm. motivation that she's saying all of this wasn't ever supposed to be about you. It was supposed to be about me. And then all you have to do as the baby face is be like, yeah, and you had your chance and you blew it. You know, like the Dakota Kai in her mind believes that she's been unfairly, she's been given a bad hand or whatever. She had title shots and lost them. And, you know, they had the tag titles and she was the one that wasn't able to keep them. And she's now projecting that insecurity through Raquel's title run. So I like, I like this. Um, and I wanted to like this. I probably feel like I would have loved it a great deal more had it happened in like six months when it felt like the right time to do it. Um, yeah, the match needs to deliver. Raquel Gonzalez hopefully will. This is her babyface turn. If that wasn't clear last week, it felt clearer through the gears of this vignette that this is her babyface turn. Maybe that will help. Um, Dakota Kai is not like she's really, really good. This will test how much of the super worker lurks within because they will ask you now not only to take this as Raka Gonzalez's babyface turn, but we'll be watching, hoping to see Raka Gonzalez's best title defense. Mm. So, yeah, I, th- I thought this went some way to kind of make it up for the, the iffy feeling about last week. And I kind of, yeah. I'm curious now, because I think that was possibly hampered as well by a number of people, like knowing it was out there and things like that. Mm-hmm. We'll go live again next week. I, like not being mindful of any developments at all. Like I'll, I'll give them a chance. I thought this was a this was a useful step in the story. Just baffles me why they, you know, well I know why because Vince has looked at them and gone, oh she's got green hair, and a tank, that'll be a lamp. <laughs> but why on earth wouldn't you keep Tiger Knox and Shotzi Blackheart down in NXT? And if you're going to do this now, do it, and then immediately put Dakota Kai on the main roster because she's immediately a main event talent. Do you know what I thought about it as relates to that, that particular call up? Um, if you don't watch NXT regularly or you watch it intermittently, let's say, and yeah, it's it's the middle of May and they've got two Gabos on the go and then Diamond Mine show up and you quite like them and you're like, you know, I'm going to stick around for the second Gabo, quite interested in this, this battery thing. And then you miss one episode of NXT, but you tune into SmackDown every week. You're like, ah, oh, Tegan Knox has come back from injury and she's gone straight to SmackDown. By the way, who was that battery? You <laughs> <laughs> You never would have got your payoff to one while simultaneously not realising that that payoff was suddenly on another wrestling show. I forgot about the battery stuff, yeah. <laughs> one episode she came back. Candice LeRae, I'm back for you. See you later. <laughs> got you. Bye. That's... <laughs> yeah. Got him. I'm done. Fish bash bosh. Um, speaking of Candice LeRae, uh, she was there with Johnny Gargano. They're talking about what's best for Indy Hartwell. And, uh, well, we'll talk more about this in the main event. Gargano said he was going to end Index for good. And it was announced that Adam Cole um, isn't medically cleared off the back of that brain buster on the steps that Kyle O'Reilly gave him last week. And there's going to be a face-to-face mediated by William Regal. Probably do with that bloody enforcer next week for this. But, uh, yeah, that's (laughs) what we've got with them. And we got the uh, next match in the NXT breakout tournament, the final quarterfinal. Uh, between Joe Gacy and Trey Baxter. No clues as to who's going to win this. They both got about 30 seconds of this is this guy and this is what they do, basically. All I want to talk about, really, is Baxter's insane finisher. Oh, that's a nice uh, 
That's a nice coup de gras you've got there, Finn Balor. What if I added a 450 to it? Sweet Jesus. <laughs> Him versus Odyssey Jones is going to be bonkers. Yeah. Um, I, a great finish. And to be fair to them, I've got to be consistent here. On the preview yesterday, we were saying one of the big problems with the breakout tournament is that you're not actually sure what you're breaking out of unless you have this incredible match that makes you the talk of the industry. There's nothing else to break out of in NXT. This wasn't that, but that finisher was. So it's a bit like um, Casey Catanzaro do something similar. What, four mm. rotations in midair and landed on somebody? Because you can. Um, I don't know if this is going to get the traction now, but he's going to do that again. Mm. And it's going to be on shows that people do watch or in matches that people do have an investment in. Um, that one move, wrestling is fickle and weird and always changing. That one move could take him all the way to the final. Yeah. Because it is a it is a weapon and you cannot underestimate the power of just having one awesome weapon in your arsenal. Um, again, not a sort of an unfair comparison, I guess, but like no matter how good Ember Moon was at the other stuff, she was leapfrogging three quarters of the roster with the Eclipse. Mm. And like, you know, that's, that's neither fair to Ember Moon or possibly fair to Trey Baxter by comparison. But I just think that's the sort of stuff that gets people talking. And if you're going to succeed in a breakout tournament, at least get a bit of conversation around you. Yeah. Otherwise, not a lot to say about the match. Like not yeah. to be fair to them, not a lot to say about the match. Yeah. Nod to Joe Gacy who just being a, hard mean bastard who Trey Baxter had to you know use his aerial ability to defeat but like you said uh, yesterday it's all really about the semi-finals Carmelo Hayes versus Vink and uh, yeah Trey Baxter versus Odyssey Jones two matches that could and probably will steal the show whenever they pop up on NXT I don't know if that's next week or whenever that may be I have to talk to you though about this skit we got with Zoe Stark and Io Shirai they were going out for food. Uh, Zoe's obviously trying to convince uh, EO to be mates, despite the fact that they are tag champs, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, thought yeah. so. Yeah. So they're in, a, they're in a Japanese restaurant. EO Shirai orders in Japanese and start trying to be all pally-pally. He says, yeah, I'll have what she's having. And they bring out some weird and wonderful dishes. Squid, I assume, maybe octopus, something like that. All the All the things that you would expect in uh, all the all the wildest things from the venue a menu from a sushi restaurant uh stark <laughs> tries to eat a bit of it spits it out into a napkin throws it on the floor like one of pamphlet's children and uh i don't know thinks wasabi is some mushy peas or something and eats too much of that it's obviously too spicy and uh, when the waitress brings the bill over or comes to check on the food or something, she poises the rest of the plate and says, oh, oh, well, that was lovely. Can I have mine to go? And he assures not buying any of it and says, oh, well, thanks for that. You're paying. And uh, and then Stark has some banter with the waitress who's from, I think, Kansas somewhere. She's American. That's the joke. Oh, this is instantly forgettable, Michael Hamflet. I want to have two chats on this, but the first chat, I want to alleviate all the responsibility from myself. So I'm going to throw this as a question to everyone that listens. Feel free to reply where this pops up on Twitter or indeed just to us on Twitter. Was this segment racist? Because it certainly felt racist. Mm. Anyway, um, on to the rest of the content, which was risible. Um, 
I feel so disappointed that this is the avenue that they're taking with this story in particular. Um, Stark and Shirai, can they coexist, is a pretty dumb idea anyway, because thus far you've risked kind of making Eel a bit of a dick. You know, mm. like Stark hasn't done anything uh, to... Stark's not Cameron Grimes, right? So, like, she's not so infuriating that Eo Shirai should be like, oh, Jesus Christ, this arsehole. It's more just that Eo Shirai says she doesn't like people. Mm. Okay, she's, like, too cool to have mates or whatever. That's as well as maybe, but I never particularly felt that was the Eo Shirai babyface character by the end anyway. She worked war games and put a bin on her head. She looked like she knows how to, <laughs> loves to have fun. Like she had balanced, she perfectly balanced how to be, like, hard as nails, best wrestler in the world and have a bit of a sense of fun. So this feels fairly disconnected from the Io Shirai of old anyway, but she's like, she's too cool for all of this. But then also the roots of this brilliantly were in that first match they had, the mutual respect they built up and an unexpected tag title win. Mm. Like there's enough there already to down the line, eventually do your master and apprentice thing you know, the story that we feel like we can all see, the match that is going to be awesome, the idea that Zoe comes out and says, at night one, I earned your respect. Why did you take it away from me from that point onwards? Mm. Like, there's already enough there without this putrid shit scripting, this rotten set piece garbage that I genuinely believe NXT have made. And this is the worst thing. They've made this in their minds in good faith as a response to a criticism that the show is too heavy and is too dark and is too dim. And it's like, you know, you know what? People actually quite like the fun stuff and they like the light relief. They've loved Index. They've loved this and this and this. Like, let's give a little more. Let's find the balance in the show. I think that's the reason they've done this. And what a catastrophic misfire it was. The wrong people in the wrong angle. And again, to go back to my original point, in the wrong content. I, I, I was worried, like, Oh, like we're yet more straight white dudes on a podcast. Like there's really no room for us anymore to lend a voice to this sort of thing. But like uh, it felt off, felt really off the tone of all this. Yeah. It, uh, it felt like something out of like a 70s TV show with all the baggage that comes with yes. something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or um, the bits of the Police Academy films that you find way too awkward to enjoy. Just like, oh, you've gone to a sushi restaurant and you don't know what wasabi is. What you're like, eh? Oh, what do you mean? She's been speaking Japanese to this waitress. What do you mean she's from America? Just, yeah. Yeah. Bad, 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 bad stuff. Uh, what I did enjoy was what followed. Carrying Cross storms out, jumps on the table, shouts, <laughs> who promote who to Samoa Joe, who comes out. He's got those security with him. I said it wasn't going to end well. And he just wrecks all of them. They're all trying to hold him back from getting to Carrying Cross. And I suppose technically they succeed because he didn't get his hands on him. Instead, he just turned his focus. He snapped. He turned his focus on the security. Uh, they all do the running in and getting murked by him, except for one who gets choked out while Samojo glares down the lens and screams for, for Carrying Cross. Yeah, I think it, what I want is Carrying Cross to sort of have a moment of realization of like, Oh, I probably shouldn't have messed with this one. <laughs> the less time this was effective, obviously we we did talk about how apparently the original like footage had hardy chance drowning out anything they were trying to achieve. <laughs> um, 
So if this was the second bite of the cherry or they've had to do some editing or whatever, I didn't hear anybody mention a 16-time world champion, so I'm not sure the sound was sweeping. <laughs> but um, the the less of carrying cross you get on NXT now, the better. Mm. Short bursts is what's going to be effective because the longer he stands there on screen, the more you're reminded that he's a bang average lower card raw guy pretending to be the hardest fella on this show. Um, conversely, five more minutes of Samoa Joe choking out fools is no bad thing. Boilerplate stuff, but they're getting where they need to go, hopefully. Christ, Joe better win. Oh, God, yeah. Um, we got a prime target. Love me a prime target. If you haven't seen this, go and check <laughs> it out. Uh, not that I needed selling on uh, Walter Dragunov too, but did a great job of sort of chronicling their history and uh, the, the dark places that Dragunov fell into following that five-star classic, which he, of course, lost to Walter yeah, this merits being on TakeOver 36. Arguably merits being the main event to some people. It probably won't be, but still. Uh, great video package. No great surprises there by WWE Hamlet. Yeah, um, I mean, Walter might be the most handsome wrestler of all time, but one thing <laughs> I don't think he really is, is a very, um, truly, um, a champion with much prestige on his title. People love to talk about the amount of days Walter's held that belt. But you kind of have to look at the reality of the situation, don't you? Think about when he won it. Think about a few defences he had before the pandemic and then how few defences afterwards. What they have laboured on um, that has suddenly imbued Walter's title reign with his importance is this unbelievable match he had last year. This beloved um, desert rose of a BT <laughs> yes. Sports studio classic. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it had no right to be what it was, and yet it was... Um, and now they're giving it a second go. Uh, Walter at the takeover is becoming a thing because the Champa match was awesome. So they've got that in their back pocket as well. Um, yeah, they've figured out exactly how to sell exactly the right match on exactly the right show. Soz, NXT UK. But uh, I was going to say dad has stepped in, but yeah, it's uncle at this point, isn't it? NXT. <laughs> Uh, and this is also the point where Kashida said he was going to give uh, Roderick Strong a shot at the title because he's a lovely bloke like that. And uh, it was announced next week, oh, we've got a treat. We've got Ilya Dragunov coming to NXT. We've got that face-to-face with Colin O'Reilly. We've got Raquel Gonzalez breaking her silence on that attack by Dakota Kai. And what a mouth-watering prospect this is. Ember Moon versus Saray. Woo! Mm, can't wait for that. Um Saray, what's cool as well is that Saray is going to get her first big win uh, in a match where the opponent has the finisher that most people want to talk about. Mm. We actually mentioned the Eclipse earlier on in this podcast. The Eclipse is a thing to avoid, and Ember Moon is going to face that horrendous dropkick to the face and have her neck snapped in two by Saray's awesome finisher. So not only is she going to get that, well, what I hope comes across as a rub, of beating a first opponent, but it's going to come against the one person that typically would do that to others. Cool, and, that. it's a cool booking. It's a and cool booking. A nice thing of they're going to be incredibly nice and respectful, and then a bell's going to ring, and they're going to beat seven bells out of each other, basically. So yeah, oh, it's going to turn. It's really going to turn. Good luck, no, no you. Good luck, good luck. Okay, take your right off. That's that's the story <laughs> of the night, especially next week. Right, let's get to the main event. Dexter Loomis, Johnny Gargano, love her or lose her match, and. I think I I honestly think this was absolutely spectacular booking. And I'll explain why. Because as you mentioned, I'm not sure if this was before we were recording or as we were recording. There's a history of right, you have to do this or you don't get this. And then they don't do it, 
and then they get it anyway, basically. Shane McMahon, Undertaker, Monday Night Raw, etc. But I, I want to talk about why this is different. So they are wrestling each other, uh, back and forth action, of course. Uh, but Indy Cartwell comes out as Dexter Loomis dives under the ring at one point. She goes after Loomis. Candice LeRae comes out. She's furious. She, oh, I love, I love angry, apoplectic Gargano's. Effectively, <laughs> she comes out. She and Gargano drag Hartwell out. Who's holding the hands of Dexter Loomis, of course? And there's a a nice moment broken up by Gargano punting uh, Dexter in the ribs. Uh, Loomis makes a comeback. Uh, looks great, but uh, Gargano cuts him off. Tope suicida. Loomis counters a slingshot spear uh, and uses a slingshot falcon arrow instead. He goes up top, but Gargano moves, eats a super kick near fall. He fights back, gets Gargano down again, and he signals to Indy Hartwell he's going to hit him. He's going to hit Gargano with a big elbow drop, but Gargano rolls out of the way and uh, locks in that finisher, the submission of his. Loomis is scratching and clawing his way to the ropes, and to Indy Hartwell's credit, she doesn't help him, but when he gets the ropes. Not only does he grab the ropes, but he has a little moment where he rubs her face, which is creepy, but <laughs> it's nice in, in only in this scenario. Uh, Hartwell's up on the apron. That distracts Gargano. Loomis schoolboys him. I think, oh, please, please don't let this be the finish. It isn't, though. Gargano kicks out. Loomis smashes into Hartwell, knocks her off the apron into the arms of Candice Array. Loomis panicking, goes outside to check on Indy Hartwell. That allows Gargano to recover, hit a swinging DDT on the floor and hit one final beat. One, two, three. It's loser. It's not love her. But in a sensational piece of booking, Gargano and Candice Array are leading their daughter away. Sorry, you can't date the, 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 the wild child from the other town. Back you come with us. But Indy Hartwell, we talked about this yesterday. Don't I'll get into it for us. Yesterday, we said, the issue here, I tried to sugarcoat it, but you called me out on it quite rightly. The issue here is Indy Hartwell, in storyline, is being treated like a sodding object. Either Gargano <laughs> owns her or Dexter Loomis owns her. This isn't as I tried to sell it as, oh, if I win, you'll let me take your daughter out on a date. It's, she's mm. mine now. But Indy Hartwell's her own in person so she goes you know what bollocks to this pushes him away i mean there's presses dexter loomis effectively <laughs> snogs him gets off with him they roll around in the ring and i had a little bit of a cry it was lovely <laughs> you have perfectly summed up the entire experience of what it was to watch this match and this payoff and this conclusion like perfectly there's a reason why you're the best at this um, this match wasn't a technical classic and they were wise not to shoot for that. This match instead played with the story that informed it, um, including all the creepy stuff, such as him touching <laughs> her face. Like, it was odd. That felt odd. But, like, lots of this story has felt odd. The dynamic between Indy Hartwell and Dex Lemus is odd. Um, but the finish was really nice pro wrestling stuff which is Loomis cares more about Hartwell, even if he loses the match. Gargano just wants to win because he believes that he owns Indy Hartwell and he can, by winning this match, he can keep her as his property. All that sort of stuff. Um, perfect balance of heel, babyface stuff. And yeah, they, some people will say, again, the example, the Shane McMahon, Vince McMahon, 24 hours later, we'll just retcon it stuff. And I get it because traditionally that's what 
that's what pro wrestling is when it does this sort of thing. But what this was, was a reality check of the inherent issues with the stipulation in the first place and the idea. This actually might have pushed an old trope forward into the 21st century and NXT never does that. And it might have, like now, like the, there is, there can no longer be a match where a woman's love is fought for and a stipulation must be adhered to because NXT have just made it very apparent that somebody doesn't have to adhere to something so stupid when it comes to their personal life. Hmm. And I, like, I know that might sound like I'm overstating it and a lot of people will never even know this angle happened because it happened on NXT and nobody watches it. Mm-hmm. But a new precedent has been set. Yeah. Like main roster WWE, AEW, whatever. Can't, and it's stupid that it ever happened, but it can't put somebody's personal life up on the lines as a match in like as professional stakes now because the reality has just showed itself here. If uh, if Eddie Guerrero had beaten Rey Mysterio at SummerSlam 2005, Dominic would have had no choice but to go with him, you know? <laughs> and like, that was always positioned, Stephanie McMahon with Tess and Shane McMahon the same, that was always positioned as inherently stupid. And now NXT have kind of like very quietly knocked that barrier down. So I think it was like an awful lot more to like just than finally getting to see the neck in. We got the neck in. Like there was more to like than just that. Something was something was happening there. And it was the payoff people wanted. You know, like index was a nice thing. Index was a thing that shouldn't have worked, but did. And they gave the people what they wanted. And this this is we this works so much better for, for everything going forward as well. Like we've got the, what we wanted. You know, Johnny Gargano can't stop true love. But mm-hmm. he's completely justified now to be like. What's she doing? I won the match. Because like you say, he's an idiot. In his daft mind, the job was done, you know, in his stupid mind. Yeah, exactly. But I won. He can't. They can't do (laughs) it. Yes, they can, Johnny. And Austin Theory couldn't come back and be like, what's going on here? All this sort of thing. Mm. And we get all the sort of entertaining, creepy dates, which is preferable to Dex Loomis, I suppose, (laughs) stalking Indy Hartwell for a period. Now, them going on a, I don't know, dinner date or mini golf. You know, like, just just have some fun with it. Not the way you had the fun with the bloody tag team, but the the Cameron Grimes and LA Knight stuff. That sort of thing, isn't it? You have stumbled into something there. NXT now has a minimum of one programme on the go at any one time, where when we do a preview... You ask me and Sidgwick, what's going to be the skit this week? Whether it was Grimes and Ted DiBiase, Grimes as a butler, and now Hartwell and Loomis. Like, what's going to be the funny thing they do outside of the ring? All of that is good. The bad is sending Io Shirai and Zoe Starks to a sushi restaurant. They've got to know exactly the right storyline to do their silly skits with. And now it's this one. Yeah, exactly. Like, And the, the thing is, there's not a great deal of comedy you can get out of a man who doesn't talk and someone who's infatuated with him. Now they are together, but mm. with Gargano and Larray thinking, wait, no, we won the match. <laughs> this isn't meant to be happening. So like use my deep uh, uh, meal example. You have candlelit restaurant, Indy Hartwell, uh, Dex and Loomis not saying anything, just looking lovingly into each other's eyes. Maybe they don't even touch the food that they've been brought because they're so just 
lost in, in, in each other's souls or whatever it is. Your comedy there is two big, giant menus that fold down and it's Candice and Johnny going, <laughs> what are they doing? What, what's going on? Yes, love that. What about, um, so, Date Night and Indy Hartwell and Dexter Lumis have agreed to just have a nice cosy night in and watch a movie together, which is funny because it just involves Dexter Lumis staring intently at a screen, like completely upright. Like she might have his arm around her arm around him or something, but he's just staring upright in a Lumis style at the telly. And then a pullback and reveal shows that it's the Gargano's living room because Indy Hartwell bought them the flat screen. Yes. And they're like, we're not having him around here. No. And she's like, well, I bought the telly. L-T-S-T. Yeah, you know what? Fine, we'll watch what movie you're watching. And they're watching some slasher and Gargano's panicking and throwing popcorn all over Candice. It's an open goal. You have to actively be bad at this now, NXT, which you were with the sushi bit this week. But mm. just just let Johnny Gargano write it, because let's be honest, he's the one who brings the good stuff to this alongside Candice <laughs> LeRae. So there you go. But I'm very excited for NXT next week. Some great stuff to look forward to and all the fallout from this. So they have achieved their purpose, and it's rare that we get to say, yeah, really enjoyed NXT, aside from a couple of things this week. But let us know your thoughts on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Later on today, our AEW Dynamite preview with the greatest acquisition from WWE <laughs> to AEW ever, ever to talk about. Bollocks to your Moxley's, your Andrade's, anything like that. No, 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 no. Tonight is where the game changes. We'll talk more about it later on our AW Dynamite preview. But for now, this has been the NXT Review. My thanks to Michael Hamflet. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.